Welcome to Portfolio Rescue, our new show here at The Compound. I'm your host, Ben Carlson. This is the show where we're going to be answering questions directly from you, the viewer. Every week, we're going to be here live Thursdays. Uh, Just a little background on why we started this show. When you produce content for a living and you build up an audience, eventually you're bound to get some feedback. That's the best and worst part about the internet. Sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative, but because we produce financial content, we also receive a ton of questions asking us for our opinions. There's really no handbooks for this stuff when it comes to your finances, so each week our inboxes are full of questions from people who listen to our podcasts or watch these videos or read our blogs, and sometimes these emails from people make us laugh, sometimes they make us cringe, sometimes they make us think, sometimes they help us learn. And one of the really cool parts is that people place their trust in us and they share this very detailed information with us. So how much money they make, how much they have saved, what kind of stock options they have at work, their retirement plan, their investment strategies, the financial problems they're having, all this kind of stuff. And we've come to realize, hey, wait a minute, maybe these questions would be useful beyond our inboxes. Because you can, you can look at these questions and go, wait, how would I handle that situation? Or I've dealt with something like that. Did I do the right thing? Or what if something like this happens to me? Or God, what is this person thinking? How could they? How could they be so stupid? So, um, we don't pretend to have all the answers here. Um, as with most things in life, there's there's a lot of gray area here. There's no right or wrong answers when it comes to a lot of things with your finances. Um, and, and I want to get this out of the way too that this this show is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions, as we have to say in the legalese. But um, we've been doing this long enough where we hope we can provide some context, some perspective, and some opinions based on our experience. Uh, we just want to make help people make better decisions with their finances and just think through all the things that come into play when making these decisions. So that's what the show is going to be. Each week I'm going to be here. Uh, if you have a question for us, email us, askthecompoundshow at gmail.com. Now, real quick on some of the format of the show before we get started here, we get a wide range of questions, everything from personal finance to taxes to investing to stock picking to crypto to saving, retirement, uh, everything in between. And I have been writing a blog for going on 10 years now. I've been doing a, our podcast, Animal Spirits, for four or five years. I have a CFA. I have an MBA. I'm not trying to brag here. Just laying it out there, my resume. Um, but I don't pretend to be an expert in every single financial concept out there. So each week, I'm also going to bring an expert on the show with me to answer some questions where I'm not an expert on the topic and they have some expert domain knowledge on a topic that I don't. So um, without further ado, that's how it's going to work. Duncan, let's do the first question. Cool. Uh, hey everyone, we we see you in the chat here. Thanks for tuning in today. Like Ben said, this is uh, this was kind of like a secret. We didn't promote it at all, so it's cool to to see so many of you already uh, already showing up there. Um, okay, so first up, the question is: I recently had a friend tell me that his retirement account had gained two percent in the previous year. He has his money with a family friend that has taken an ultra conservative approach and is nearly a hundred percent fixed income. He's in his mid thirties, and these are his retirement funds. I told him that he should have the majority of his stocks, his money in stocks with this kind of time horizon. I'm not an advisor, so I want to be careful about advice, but what's the best way for him to do this? A one-time move to stocks or index funds, move his money in chunks over the course of the next year. Any advice would be appreciated. This is an interesting one because so many people today are worried about others taking too much advice or too much uh, risk, I should say. Uh, so it, it's, it's kind of interesting to think through why would this person be so conservative? Cause last year the stock market was up almost 20%. Crypto was up an ungodly amount. Uh, even bonds were up. So 2% is, is pretty tough to stomach. So there's reasons people don't take a lot of risk. One could be, they just don't understand how the markets work. Uh, maybe they're too scared. Maybe they're getting bad advice from their advisor here. Uh, maybe they're just scared of losing money in the markets or they've already lost money and they're scarred from the past. The way that I look at it as a young person with decades and decades ahead of them, 
it's virtually impossible to take too much risk in your portfolio because your two biggest assets are human capital and time. So you have this power of compounding and your future earnings power as this huge tailwind. The problem is there's a huge difference between the right advice and advice that actually works. Um, so if this person is scared of losing money, which it, it can happen, um, I, I wanted to read something from one of my favorite books. It, it's called Where are the Customer's Yachts. It's one of the best titled books of all time, as well as probably the funniest investment book ever read, um, ever written. It, and it's written in 1940. Now, that's a, that's a pretty short list of, of funny investment books, but I um, just wanted to read this one passage because I think it, it really ties into this question. Like all of life's rich emotional experiences, the full flavor of losing important money cannot be conveyed by literature. Art cannot convey an inexperienced girl what it is like to be a wife and a mother. There are certain things that cannot be adequately explained to a virgin by either words or pictures. Nor can any description that I might offer here even approximate what it might feel like to lose a real chunk of money that you used to own. It's tough because finance is way more about emotions than spreadsheets. So you could try to educate this person, and I think you, it, that can help, but since no one teaches this stuff, it, it's probably better to ease into it and look at this from a psychological framework. So no one gets off the couch on day one who's never jogged in their life and runs a marathon. You have to sort of ease into it and train and get better. And so the way I view it is the good strategy you can stick with is vastly superior to the great strategy that you can't stick with, right? So I think you can start by asking some questions like to this person, how do you plan on retiring if your portfolio is going to trail inflation every year? Um, Does your current advisor actually understand your time horizon and risk profile? Um, And do you understand how the stock market works? And if this person doesn't, there's no shame in that. I think there is a great way to learn in one of my favorite books on this topic, uh, Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth by Nick Murray is a classic, one of the best books I've ever read on getting a long-term mindset and thinking through investing in the stock market. Now, if you want to buy this book for your friend, you can't actually get it on Amazon. You have to go to nickmurray.com. That's M-U-R-R-A-Y, because Nick sells these books himself. He he printed it on his own, and Nick is a not a businessman. He's a business comma man. So that's a great book to check out to teach someone like this. Uh, What do we think, Duncan? Yeah, no, it sounds good. I've got to read that one. I haven't read that one yet. It's a classic. Yeah, it sounds like what you're talking about is all about the very idea of risk tolerance, right? Just figuring out what someone's willing to to put sure, have on the table. It's, yeah, it's your it's how much risk you need to take, how much you want to take, and how much you can actually accept. Uh, and that's a tough balance to strike. But obviously, this person with decades ahead of them needs to take a little bit more risk. All right, uh, question two. What do we got? Okay, so uh, for this question, uh, we have I'm a 48 year old single male with around eight hundred forty thousand dollars saved. That is 55% traditional IRA, 35% Roth, and 10% taxable. I'm currently maxing out my Roth 401k, Roth IRA, and putting a few thousand into my taxable account every year. Next year will be the first year I will make significantly more than the Roth IRA income limit of $125,000. What do I do with the $6,000 Roth IRA contribution going forward? And then they go they go through, they have a little more detail that we'll get okay. to. Uh, first of all, good problem to have. This person's income is rising. They're saving a lot. So kudos to you. Um, I would love to be able to talk about Roth IRAs with you, but um, I actually have an expert here, my personal tax consultant, our CFO at Ritholtz Wealth Management, Bill Sweet, um, who I believe has Roth IRA tattooed on his back like Ben Affleck has with the dragon. Um, so we're going to bring Bill in to kind of help us here with this one on the tax side. Roth King. Gentlemen, it's true. Guilty as charged. So I want to start, single male is winning the game. Ben, you're absolutely right. My man has almost a quarter, more than a quarter million dollars uh, saved up, and that's fantastic given where he is in life. So his question, what do I do with the 6,000? He's hit the Roth IRA direct contribution limit. To answer this, Ben, let me ask you a question. Let's fast forward 10 years. 
let's say that I could just gift you $10,000 in one of three accounts. One is in a traditional IRA, subject to income tax on distribution. The second is in a brokerage account, non-qualified. So you got to pay capital gains. And then let's say I give you $10,000 in a Roth IRA. Which one do you choose and why? Well, I'm cheating here because I already have the answers. Because in recent years, you talked me into switching my 401k from a traditional to a Roth. So um, I'm going to take the Roth without having to phone a friend. Right. And the idea there is that do yourself a future self a favor now, which is if you can get all that, that gain, the, the 6,000, let's say rule of seven grows to 12,000 in 10 years and then grows to 24,000, God willing, in 20 years, et cetera. If you can get all that gain tax free, why wouldn't you do that? And this taxpayer, this single male is doing this, right? He's max funding a Roth 401k. So let me skip forward to the solution. Uh, at $140,000 of AGI, you're no longer allowed to directly contribute to a Roth IRA, but you can do this really, really filthy solution that we've discussed in the past ad nauseum called a backdoor Roth IRA. The mechanics with that are that you fund a non-deductible contribution to a traditional IRA, and then on your tax return, you do not elect to take a tax deduction. This taxpayer, single male, is above the income limit. He couldn't take a tax deduction if he wanted to. So every year that he does that, he can dump the money in 6,000 into traditional IRA. That's his, his contribution limit immediately then convert that asset to a Roth, there is no income limit on Roth IRA conversions. That's the backdoor Roth IRA process. The IRS chief counsel signed off on this about two, three years ago in a conference. Before then, there was some ambiguity on whether this was totally allowed. But if there's nothing in the law that prohibits it, there's no IRS regulation, and the, the top attorney at the IRS comes out and says, this is cool, that's a strategy that we can all deploy. So the Note, however, that... Oh, so sorry, the whole point ahead, here is that you're just figuring out a way to pay some taxes now to defer them for later and have the compounding grow yep. tax-free. That's the idea. If you're going to save the money anyway, why not look to sort of help your future self? Back to that question we, we brought in for. So just two other quick points I want to make on this topic. Number one is that Congress is making noise about shutting this, this, this contribution. And so this might be over, unfortunately, beginning January 1st, 2022. The back door is going to be go away, possibly? The back door. Yep. Yep. This was part of the House Ways and Means uh, Proposal Committee budget that came out uh, in September. And yeah, this is targeted. We'll see if it survives the committee stuff. This is a hot potato right now. You know, pull up the Wall Street Journal if you want to get the latest and greatest on the political soap opera going on uh, with the budget reconciliation. Uh, but yes, this could be something that goes away next year. Okay. All right, Duncan, what's the next one? Okay. So uh, next up, we have a real estate one. Uh, once someone has maxed out their investing tools, 401k, Roth IRA, is real estate the next be best option? I've always been told that owning property is the best wealth building tool outside of investing. Do you guys believe this still holds true? If so, is real estate investing still a viable option these days with bloated home prices? And then they go and give us the, the context of, of who they are. I understand why people would think this. You're, you're told from a young age that real estate is the best investment you can make. You see these, these big dollar amounts happening in real estate. And also real estate, especially now when people are worried about hedging against inflation, that's a great hedge because you can lock in a long-term low interest rate. And if you're doing rental properties, you can potentially increase the income every, all the time, right? Like those are the pros. Yep. The cons, of course, are the water heater breaks down on the weekend for your rental property and uh, you're a property manager now. And especially if you're planning on doing this out of the city or out of state, uh, that's tough. So do you really want to be someone who's running a rental operation? And, and, and the other thing is there are now huge pools of capital coming in here that weren't there before that can do this much more efficiently than individuals. So I know that there are individuals who can do this, 
I would just caution people to understand that this is true active investing, active in the form of you have to do a lot of stuff. There's a lot of costs involved, uh, yeah. and it's probably not going to be easy. And one yeah. blown something in the house, and you're sp spending on it, and you lose all your income for the whole year. Yeah, you're running a business. That's it. I agree. So not only do we as a firm advise folks on some of these decisions, but I also play this game. Like I'm a, I'm a client too. I own a five unit rental property in suburban New York. And there are really two big things I want to say on this. Number one is that I think the listener's right. I think over the long term, real estate is an awesome long-term investing opportunity, but like everything in investing, it's less about what you buy and it's probably more about what you pay. And so the listeners thinking about this, I think soberly, Ben, I think correctly identifies the what's going on broadly in the market. But the reality is real estate is local. And so if you can find a local opportunity, if you can find somebody that you have a relationship with that potentially wants to, to help you out, that, that's a great thing to jump in on if you're focused on, let's say, 10 years or more. Uh, we all know the guy whose dad bought a house in Brooklyn in 1975 for $5,000, right? And he sold it last year for a half million. Therefore, his return was 100x. No, it wasn't. Right. <laughs> Along the way, Ben, you're right. He had to replace a roof at some point for $20,000. The, the plumbing had to be replaced. Taxes. Well, plus in uh, your are, situation, are how do you find tenants every year? So it's rough. And that means for me, putting it out on Craigslist, and if that doesn't work, I need to go find a broker, right? And then I owe them a first month's rent that, that chews into my net operating profit there in year one, meaning every tenant I sign a new tenant is a net loss for that first year, right? And Ben, I'm glad you brought that up because it's work. Real estate investing is work unless you're outsourcing this stuff, which again, eats in your profit. I have five tenants. That means I have five clients that I need to sit down with at least once a year to discuss their, their lease. There are broken toilets that happen at two in the morning on a random Tuesday. And if my plumber's not picking up the phone and there's water pouring all over my floor, it's up to me to get off my butt, get in my car at two in the morning and drive out there and get that fixed. So my advice is be prepared to run a business. This is a part-time job. Pay attention to cost and less about other variables like if everyone else is doing it. And you really have to be in this for the long yeah. haul. All right. Uh, one more bonus question for you guys that I'm going through personally. This is not coming from a listener. This is not coming from you. This is me. Um, I've had some issues with my landscaper recently. They're having, I feel for them because they're having a labor shortage. Uh, they have been communicating with me very well. So we needed to replace some trees in the backyard because they kept dying. Every single summer, these trees die. And every summer, they tell us a new type of tree that's going to go in that's going to fix this problem. Um, surprisingly, they said the trees are getting too much water. I don't know if that, that's like kind of like your car mechanic making up a part and telling you about, but sure, too much water. <laughs> your car's getting too much gas. So but. Yeah, so in May, they told us, uh, we're going to replace these trees for you. We've got some nice birch trees we're going to bring back. It's going to be beautiful. We'll give you an estimate. We'll put them in. Uh, weeks go by. We don't hear anything. I reach out a few times, and they didn't get back to me. So I said, you know what? Fine. And guess what? The trees that were back there came back to life miraculously. We had a lot of rain this summer. Uh, fast forward to September. I see some tracks going into the back of the house. Looks like someone had driven on the back of the house as I get home from work. Asked my wife what's going on. She said, I don't know. I was gone all day. We go back in the backyard. The new trees are there. Look gorgeous, beautiful. They never told us. They send me the bill. Uh, we're talking close to $2,000 worth of trees here. Now, Oof. the kids have already gone out and named each tree. It's, uh, you know, oh. they, they, they like their own tree. Uh what sort of recourse do I have here? Do I complain? Do I suck it up? Uh, do I ask for uh, some sort of uh, like long-term guarantee on these trees? What do I do? Do I, do I pay it in full and, and just stop my I'd, feet? I'd ask how, you, how they valued the trees, you know, how they came <laughs> up with that, that price. Well, well, there's a cape ratio on the trees based on the number of leaves. and uh, So I think I'm I, – yeah. I, do I just suck it up yeah. here? 
These are Ben Carlson problems. Do you know how I'd solve this problem? Do you know where, do you know where this guy lives? Do you know where his, uh, his business is? I know it's located. Is? Yes. I would, I would go straight biblical. You go eye for eye, tooth for a tooth. <laughs> props. He takes your tree, you take his, and that's how we do it around here. That's, that's right. Ben Carlson's that sounds, style. That's that sounds great do. until I don't know how to use power tools because I'm useless. And uh, <laughs> See, you go fix people's toilets in the middle of the night. I would be on the, on the ground and, and looking at it and I, not knowing what to it's do. It's no fun. I'm not sure it's worth my negative $4,000 of depreciation every okay. year. Okay. Those trees are going to grow over time, though. This is a great lesson in compounding. They're going to get bigger. So um, I think and, I got a steal here. And then you can sell them as lumber, right? Yes. If lumber yes. Is still I was going to say NFT. The, the solution is staring us right in the face. All right. Guys. Tokenize. Thank you to Bill and Duncan for helping out today. Um, if you have any thoughts about the questions we asked here today, feel free to leave them in the comments below. I go through and read every one of them, even from the haters who call me an elitist. I swear. Um, I personally read everyone. If you have, remember, if you have a question for the show, ask the compound show at gmail.com. We're going to be going over these every week, every Thursday, and who knows, we'll come next week with me for an expert. Uh, and we'll see you next week. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is brought to you by Ritholtz Wealth Management. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities mentioned on this podcast. If you're new to investing, check out liftoffinvest.com to get started with us today. Stop.